Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And uh, I've got so many different topics lined up, I couldn't even think of what I was going to list as a topic for today's show. One of the things, I, I, but just to give you a little bit of an idea, I, I have several in-laws that are from foreign countries, and uh, so I, and we have people in Europe and. Australia and whatever that are a part of the network and um, so I get a little input from overseas I look at some of the stuff going on overseas more than uh, probably I used to uh, it, it would you would think that it, it doesn't really have too much to do with us here so you don't really pay attention to it but some statistics government statistics came out recently in Sweden which is considered in Europe to be the uh, number one rape capital of Europe. And that's, uh, so why would that be? Because they never used to have this problem to this degree before. And the statistics show that 84% of the people who have gone to jail, which we're talking about, tens of thousands of people have gone to jail in Sweden for rape. And uh, that that's a big deal. Tens of thousands of rapes in the last few years of uh, rapists going to jail. 84% of them, or 82% in, in one statistic, which are, these are government statistics. It depends on where you take it, how far back you go. Between 2004 and 2014, these these statistics were varying. And so some of those numbers would actually be higher. In some of those years, the people who who uh, were sent to prison for gang rape were foreign born. We're talking gang rape, not just general rape, but gang rape. Where eighty two percent of them were foreign born, not born in Sweden. And we're talking about tens of thousands of people uh, or rapes. Anyway, I suppose some of them are multiple rapes, but tens of thousands of people individuals going to jail uh, for gang rape. Now, there's a lot of individual rapes that go on that wouldn't be in that statistic. And uh, we're only talking about those who actually go to prison. So they have been arrested, convicted, and gone to prison. The reality is many of the rapes that go unsolved are rapes done by people who don't really know their victims. And they will retreat into communities where in Sweden where the police don't even go. They're called no-go zones. And so you're never going to find them. And you can, you can go and see videos of people who go in to report a rape, a brutal rape, and the police are completely not helpful. They're actually told not to pursue these these rapes by foreigners. Now, if you talk to some Swedes, Swedish women, Swedish people raised in Sweden, they will say tell you that oh, this is just propaganda. 
it's not really happening. But these are government statistics. This is this is not propaganda. It is happening. And uh, but the the idea that people will just let this go, excuse it away. Even some of the women who were raped says, well, it's really not their fault. It's the culture that they were brought up in. It doesn't matter what the culture you brought or brought up in. If you come to another culture, you know, can, you know, I guess Jeffrey Dahmer is, we shouldn't put him in prison. It's not his fault. He just, he just grew up with a cannibalistic appetite to eat other people, murder and eat other people. Is that just a cultural thing? It's a violation of human rights everywhere. If your culture says it's okay to violate other people, it's still a crime against humanity, against those people that you violated, held down and brutalized. Uh, that's a crime. It's, it's not about culture. It's about violation of your fellow man. And, and rape is one of those violations, especially violent, brutal rape, gang rape. That, that's horrible. So what happened? My question is, what happens to the mindset of a people to allow that kind of activity, excuse that kind of activity, and uh, propagate that kind of activity because you're not doing anything to stop it. You're, you're giving it license. What, ha- what has happened to a society to degenerate? Because the society itself, not just the foreigners, have degenerated to the point where they don't care about their neighbor or their neighbor's daughters, and they they are more frightened of being called racist, I guess, or just seeing the truth. Maybe they're more frightened of seeing the truth than they are of doing what is right by their neighbors. And, and personally now, of course, it is my theory that a great deal of this comes about because you live in a socialist state. In a socialist state, your neighbor is not your responsibility. That's the responsibility of the government. You you have to do no more ought for your neighbor because the government will take care of them. And, of course, the government is overwhelmed with their no-go zones and so many thousands, tens of thousands uh, of rapes. rapes. Between the 10th of May 2004 and the 8th of January in 2015, there were 168,000 sentences uh, that were published. 83,000 were individuals involved in uh, 37,735 were foreign-born. That's a huge number. Now, when I say sentences, those sentences doesn't necessarily mean that they went to prison. Because in many cases, they don't send them to prison. They just send them out on probation. You know, which is, sending them out on probation is like saying, just don't get caught raping next time. It's not don't rape. It's don't get caught raping. And, uh, of course, it's Norway actually deported 
about 800 people and their crime rate dropped. I can't remember what the statistic was. It's like 75% or more. Uh, their crime rate dropped when they deported 800 people in their country. And, of course, we're talking about deporting 800 foreign-born immigrants from their country. The crime rate rate dropped in half, more than half. Now, I'm sure that some of the criminals were still there, but they were going to commit less crime because they didn't want to get deported. Uh, the problem was is that Sweden just let those people come into Sweden and then they just walk across the Swedish-Norwegian border because there's nobody there watching the border. And I, I saw another report where in parts of Europe, Germany even, and uh, other countries, gangs are just coming into stores, jewelry stores, smashing the glass and taking stuff out of the glass. And the owner's there. And he's trying to push them out of the store, but they have hammers and he's kind of staying back and he's trying to prevent from getting clubbed. I mean, this is all on camera. And they're all foreigners and they're they're just robbing in broad daylight because there's no, there's no way for him to stop them. Now, there actually is a way to stop them. And I'll give you, and this, this is, the reason I'm going to give you these extreme examples is so that you get a better idea of the kingdom. Say you're on a block and you're a jewelry store. There there must be 10, 20 other businesses on that block. There are certain, probably 30 other people working, maybe 40 other people on that block alone that are working in in stores and other businesses right there on that block. If I were there, and, and see, you're not allowed to own a firearm. If that were an American jeweler or a gold and silver store or whatever, uh, he'd have come out of the back shooting the guys. And they wouldn't be coming in again. But in these other countries, they're not allowed to have a gun. They're not allowed to even pick up like a machete uh, or even a baseball bat because that's an offensive weapon. You can't do that. You just have to ask the criminals to stop robbing and leave, which the guy was doing, but they just continued to rob. And, uh, oh, a few of them were backing out, but then the others were just had a free hand because he couldn't push them all out because he was all by himself. So here's a simple solution, simple kingdom solution. Now, real kingdom solution is actually a spiritual solution whereby they will look at the door of your shop and they will not want to come in. <laughs> if you were really, if you had really been seeking the kingdom, they would not want to come in your store because it would be so filled with the Holy Spirit, the evil that dwelt in them would not want to come in. And if it did come in, it would not have the courage to act. Now, that's a reality. You don't believe that yet. But then, of course, you haven't really been seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because if you were, you would have at your disposal, by the grace of God, a pillar of fire that could stand in front of your doorway and they could not enter, God willing. Now, you can't conjure that up, but if you were seeking the kingdom, that would actually be an accessible defense that could not be regulated by government. Actually, it would even protect you from government. But then, you know, I could be a lunatic, so you don't have to believe that. But I'm telling you, 
that that is actually the case. But, since you haven't been seeking the kingdom, and now you can start doing it, this is what you do to solve that problem. Very easy solution, not complicated. Anybody could do it. Unfortunately, those people didn't call me, so I can't tell them this. If you know those people, you can send them this show when it becomes available as a recording and they can listen to it because I'm going to give you the solution that they could use all over Germany, France, Sweden, Norway, all these places where they're having this trouble and any place where you have a lawless population anywhere in the world because some of these some of these things are happening in places like Australia because it's taking the guns away from the people too and they can't defend themselves against these marauding thugs and I don't care what color the people are they could be protecting you from other Australians <laughs> as well. But this is what you do. You got, you got 20, 30, 40 other business, uh, people anyway, on that given block. And you can actually explain, expand this out to other blocks. But for now, just your block. Now the Koreans are already doing this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, you we're, this is a, this is not rocket science. It's easily figured out how to do this. What you do is you go into every business on the block. You don't ask for money. You talk to them about this problem. Now, some of those businesses are probably not getting robbed. Uh, but little grocers are probably getting robbed. I mean, we saw in Ferguson where this big guy comes in and he's just manhandling a little tiny storekeeper. And he's getting away with it because he's a big bully. What if you were to... Everybody's got cell phones. You know, at first when I thought of this, I thought you'd put a little button under the counter and then you'd link it to all the other stores. And when you press your button, all the other storekeepers on the block hear that buzzer. Well, that's a big expensive thing. Not that expensive, but it was doable 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But what's doable now is your cell phone in your pocket. <laughs> you can you can have a speed dial button that you just push and it will text everybody on the block. It will text everybody on the block that you're being robbed. And every store knows you're being robbed. And those five or six thugs that come in that are robbing you would suddenly find 20 guys coming in the door right behind them. <laughs> seconds later would be coming in the door, rushing to the front of your door right behind them and grab those guys and hold them down till the police come. And, uh, you know, put those little plastic bands around their wrists, whatever the law is in your local communities uh, and, and countries. Usually you can restrain such people, especially if they've already started breaking things and stealing stuff. You just restrain them right where they are. A lot of these stores will have videos so you can record the whole thing. And uh, if any of them raise a hammer to you, three other guys jump on them and hold them down (laughs) for the police. Well, you know what? What happened? The criminal element will stop coming to your block really quick. Now, this was they actually were doing this in places like Watts and Harlem and other places uh, the good people in the black community were having trouble with drug dealers. And so they, a few 
brave men and uh, a lot of the people of the community, they started having block parties and everything. And they started changing the atmosphere on their block where people were going to confront the drug dealers and the drug dealers just moved to another block. And, they, did, you know, there was no violence involved. They just moved somewhere else. And then in order to make it clear that this block was protected and care, the people in this block cared about one another to actually show up when somebody was in danger or being threatened or having drugs sold out in front of their house, they, uh, what they did was they started working together to clean up their neighborhood. You know, some people were not, you know, had trash around while well, they cleaned that up. And some people, their house was getting run down because they were not well off. They didn't have a lot of money. They were having financial trouble. So, or maybe they were just elderly. And they started fixing up, helping fix up the outside of their house. And then people started taking pride in their house and started fixing it up themselves and fixing up the whole neighborhood. The side effects, this was kind of a side effect of trying to get rid of the drug dealers. But then there was a side effect of that side effect was all their property values went up. <laughs> and uh, petty theft and crime went down. You know, burglary went down in those blocks. And then when they reached out to the next block and showed them what they were doing, they said, well, we'll do that too. And people started thinking different. What took place was repentance. A changing of the mind. They started caring about their neighbor as much as they were caring about their own situation and their own plight. See, that jeweler has to come out when the grocery store guy is getting robbed. And uh, and the mechanic across the road, he's got to come out too. He can bring one of his big wrenches or something with him. <laughs> well, I would just add that in my hand, officer. When I came out, I just heard there was trouble. And I was working on the car and I, I didn't set my wrench down. I was in such a hurry. <laughs> so, so anyway, the point is, is that these problems are created by the people because the people's minds have been changed. They don't care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves. Now, a lot of those... Now, th this is the quirky thing of this. A lot of these people might be going to church and singing songs and telling me that they believe in Jesus, but they don't want to get involved when their neighbor is being robbed. Well, this is why Jesus had parables like the Good Samaritan. Now, you know, coming to the aid of other people. This this is why Jesus told his apostles, if you don't have a sword, sell your coat and go get one. And so that you can you can protect one another. Because you care about one another. You care about one another's children. You care about one another's daughters. And and that doesn't happen in Sweden anymore. I've told this story before that uh, a couple of guys uh, set up a car in Sweden along the side of the road. It was in a fairly heavy traffic area, but it was at night, so there wasn't a lot of people on the street. But there were people coming down the street on a regular basis, on foot, on the sidewalk. And right there next to the sidewalk, they set up this car, and they fogged up the windows so you couldn't see in the car. 
And they had a recording in there that sounded like a girl was getting raped. And there was a guy in there playing the recording and shaking the car like he was. And the girl's yelling, stop, stop, no, no, you know, help, help. Most of the people, when they heard these noises coming out of the car, saw the car shaking, they sped up and ran by. Astounding. Just just absolutely astounding. A few people stopped. One was a woman. You know, probably, I don't know, she she looked pretty young, but she was probably in her late 30s. And she stopped and wanted to find out what was going on in the car and began to bang on the car and said, what's going on in there? Most of these people did not even take out their cell phone and text the police. You know, call 911 or whatever number you call in that country. They didn't even do that. Finally, two guys heard this, stopped, went over to investigate, opened one of the doors, saw the guy in there, grabbed the guy and pulled him out and threw him on the sidewalk and then started looking inside for the girl. Of course, there was no girl. They just had a tape recording. By And when the guy started to try to say something get up, they just kind of knocked him down again. And the cameraman was afraid that he was going to have his buddy beat up and ran out to try to tell them explained to them right away that there is nobody getting hurt. This is a social media test kind of thing, experiment. And uh, they actually, you see them on camera, and and the cameraman and the guy who was just thrown to the ground are hugging the two guys who just opened the door because they had become so frustrated that no, uh, all the people going by, one after another, nobody was stopping to help. Nobody was stopping to interfere. Nobody was calling the police. Nobody was inquiring. They scurried away. How does a society get to that point where they don't call for help? There's no, what I call, what what was called for centuries, hue and cry. That's where you come out and say, robber, thief, rapist, and everybody pours out of their house and comes to your aid. That was That was the custom. For centuries, all over the world, or at least all over the world that I know of, what happened to that? Where did it go? Because that's kingdom, coming to the aid of your neighbor. Where did that go? Why has that disappeared? And what can we do to bring it back to our own lives and our own community? Next on Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And so what do you do to restore the principles of Christ, the caring of Christ in your life? A lot of people, you know, I, I've 
I've just been in conversations on a group called the Unchurch Group. And, you know, I, I at first I thought there was great hope for that group because there's a lot of people on it. And there probably is great hope for some of them. But it's it's really stagnating. And, of course, it has some people in charge of the group that seem to be stagnating it even more. But, but uh, I don't know. We'll see what comes of all this. But uh, it's people who have find the... The modern church, the ins- they call it the institutional church, to be unproductive, unfruitful, and actually stifling the growth of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so, they're not going to church anymore. They're unchurching. But they still want to gather together. And so, they gather together at like restaurants and maybe in parks and stuff and share a pizza or something. And they have fellowship. They all talk and they're all friendly and they and they all have a good time. And then they go home. Now, some of them are probably involved in charitable projects and they have families and they care for their children and everything. But they're still, that's not the institutional church of Christ. See, that's the thing is, I was in an institutional church, a very regulated church. And I thought I wanted to be a minister, and I applied when I was like 12 years old to go to the seminary, and was rejected by a number of uh, different seminaries, until somebody actually finally tested me. <laughs> they took the time to test me, and then, then suddenly I was in, and uh, I ended up attending St. Joseph's College in uh, California, and uh, studying to be a priest, a missionary. And I remember raising my hand all the time, and especially theology class, asking, well, if this is so, why is this? If it, if this is what this means, because that's what they're telling us, that some passage means this, then why did Paul say this? <laughs> well, guess what? You know, 60 years later, I'm still asking the same questions. <laughs> And uh, in many cases, they're still being received with the same enthusiasm, which is little to none. <laughs> People do not want to ask those questions. People want to be comfortable in their belief. The comforter that Christ was going to send was the Holy Spirit. It was not the church. The church is not supposed to be the comforter of the people. We're not supposed to tickle their ears We're not supposed to boss them around either. We're not to rule over them or exercise authority one over the other like the governments of the Gentiles. Remember, the church, which is from the word ecclesia, which means called out, and specifically means a called out assembly that is called out of usually an existing government for a particular purpose to help Organize the people so that they can go back into the city-state, back into the world, and not be of the world, but manifest the character of Christ. Now, that's, that's a job given to the ecclesia. And part of that job, in order to fulfill that job, they have to feed his sheep. So, the ecclesia is not the sheep. They are the shepherds. But they don't rule over the people. They serve the people. I'm a shepherd. Actually, physically a shepherd with real sheep with wool on them. (laughs) 
I know what it means to be a shepherd. Took me years to figure it out, but I, I now know. And in that process, I also was seeking the answers, not from my own flesh and blood, not from the flesh and blood of theologians and teachers. I'd already done that for years and years and years, unsatisfactory. But I began to listen to the Holy Spirit. And it began to show me things that now I have written down and offer to share with you. But when I share the writings with you, all I'm doing is is giving you flesh and blood words. If you were to receive the Holy Spirit, you don't get the Holy Spirit from me. You get it from God. But you should recognize the Holy Spirit in what I say. And what I say is, we have gone the wrong way for decades, even some of us for centuries, been moving away from the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And now we have to repent, turn around, and go back the other way. And this is a journey of the mind and the soul and the body. It's a Trinitarian journey (laughs) of mind and soul and body. Often the word that we see translated uh, mind or soul are the same word in in the uh, languages of the Testaments. But, it, you know, the word that we see translated, and we have we have a couple programs now on soul and a web page on soul. You can go to Preparing You and look it up and, and find more about that. But the soul is really the veil of our own hearts and minds that can press up against the veil of heaven or the veil of, or of hell. If you're pressing up against hell, then you will be inspired by hell. If you're pressing up against heaven, you will be inspired by heaven. And uh, if you're inspired by heaven, you need to translate that into your mind and into your body. In other words, into your thinking and your actions. If you don't, you will be drawn towards the other veil, the veil to hell, (laughs) to the abyss. Uh, And uh, that's, now the question is, you think you're being inspired, you think you believe in Jesus. Is it the Jesus that is actually the real Jesus from heaven, or it is the artificial Jesus created in hell? That's supposed to look like Jesus, but is actually leading you astray, leading you into becoming a worker of iniquity, leading you, absolutely does not want to see you go towards the real Christ, the real Jesus, the real God. It wants you to accept it and its ways as God. And you remember the devil can appear as an angel of light. So whether you believe in a devil or not, evil can appear appear as an angel of light and good and all this stuff because you are deceivable you can be deceived so how how do you draw near god well from ancient times you, you had to repent think a different way think like christ and act like christ based on that thinking Because we've been thinking in opposition to Christ, we haven't been caring about our neighbor. We haven't been loving our neighbor. We aren't serving our neighbor. If you don't come to the aid of your neighbor, you're not coming to serve. 
If you come to the aid of your neighbor who's being brutalized, beaten, robbed, raped, well, then you're serving your neighbor. You're protecting their life, their soul. And you're willing to even lay down your life to do it. You don't think that's going to bring grace? (laughs) Of course it's going to bring grace. Now, there will be people on your block that won't want to be a part of that, won't come out. Are you going to go protect them too? Well, they they probably won't call you because they're not a part of that network that you're creating. But you should still come to their aid and in that bear witness you may not be quite as enthusiastic for them but at least maybe you can teach them something by coming to their aid you know like the good Samaritan who came to the aid of somebody who was not a Samaritan and he did it anyway and do you think that didn't make a difference I tell you that that creates ripples in the universe it, it it's like fingers of energy coming out and surrounding you and protecting you when you actually repent and start doing things the way Christ would do them. Because Christ came to serve. He came to lay down his life for others that they might be saved. Therefore, you must gather together to serve. You don't gather together to have a good time and have a pizza in a parlor somewhere or all enjoy each other's company. You can do that. But that isn't seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is not going to draw you near the Holy Spirit. In any way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, it can be a great distraction. Just like the uh, institutional church of today. That tickles the ears of the people. So... You have to start actually caring about one another and you start gathering together. And it would be good to gather together on your block because that's where you can come to immediate aid, which is why we created the network so that everybody could find people in their local area. We don't have tens of thousands of people in our network. And a part of that is is the people that are in the network don't care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves. They want to belong to a network. You know, I used to say this, if you build it, they will come, because people would tell me that. If you build it, they will come. If they make me build it, why would I want them to come? You see, it is the edifying of the kingdom. It is the sacrifice of working towards the kingdom that actually edifies and builds that kingdom. And so you have to participate because there is no grace if you do not seek to love others, even those you don't know. I mean, it's easy to love those you do know and that gather together. Well, it should be easy. (laughs) Maybe some people are harder to love once you get to know them, but... The reality is, is that you, you know, going to, you know, out to eat with a bunch of people and partying doesn't really help you get to know them. It doesn't draw you near each other. Christ didn't come for the party. He came to serve. 
He didn't come for the fellowship. He came to serve. And in the service, you will get a different kind of fellowship. It will not be the fair weather friend fellowship that you see in many churches. It will not be the rice bowl fellowship that you see in many churches. As long as you're getting something out of it, I'll come to church. You want a real fellowship, uh, a real brotherhood, where you are a band of brotherhood, where you're going to be willing to help one another, sacrifice for one another. That's a different kind of fellowship. Now, because Christ did not come preaching the fellowship of heaven on earth, but the kingdom of heaven on earth, your little local fellowship, congregation, gathering, block, is not enough. It doesn't really, it's not really kingdom. It may have kingdom principles in that gathering, but it's not kingdom. Because kingdom principles means not only that you have to care about the other people on your block, your neighbor as much as yourself, but you have to care about the people in the next block, and the next block, and the next block, and the next block, and the next block. Well, eventually you get pretty far away from home. So it seems like that our network is starting out with the idea that we're all very much apart, very distant from one another. And okay, that that has its disadvantages. But it also has its advantages. Especially in this day and age. Right now you can you can get on Facebook, you can get on Twitter, you can get on all these different places. And you can uh reach out and share the material that we've already laid out at all over the world. And draw more people to the network, the email network. And then encourage those people in the email network to become a part of the living network by joining actual congregations of record, which are just free assemblies. You're not really a member. You're just gathering together in a free assembly, casting your bread upon the waters, casting your time upon the waters, coming together to serve one another in that congregation, but also serve people in the next congregation or congregations you may never, ever meet. Because, see, you got to love not only those who love you, but those you don't even know. That's amazing. How do you love those you don't even know? This is why it tells you in the Bible to cast your bread upon the waters, which I think is in Ecclesiastes. We have an article up, and I just mentioned it uh, just uh, on uh, the website. I actually sent a link to that website that I'm not supposed to send links to, evidently, (laughs) which I didn't know about beforehand. And I'm questioning them now. Am I in great violation of rules? (laughs) Because I didn't know I wasn't supposed to send any links. I mean, it's a link to an article I wrote. And I could retype the all the information in the link little bit by little bit and and get it on to their Facebook. But it's a lot easier just to explain a little bit of the basics and then and then send that 
link. And if people want to read the rest, they can. If they don't want to read the rest, they don't have to go and click on the link. It just seems like such a great way to do this. But anyway, it is in Ecclesiastes. It's in Ecclesiastes 11.1, which should be really easy for you to remember. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. So what are they talking about? Well, right away, the next line is, Give a portion to seven, and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. And then they go on to say, If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the trees fall toward the south or towards the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. In other words, anything can happen. Anywhere in the network, the kingdom of God, things can happen. And so you're supposed to pick these seven and give a portion to seven, even eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. So, you know, they're they're talking about, Ecclesiastes is talking about the kingdom of God, which was eventually taken away from the Pharisees and, and given to the apostles who were the called out. And it was appointed to them. He said he was going to take it away. He said he was going to appoint it to them, the little flock. And he appointed it to them. And which is actually, it brings up another topic where people think that somehow the old covenant is done away with and the new covenant is now in charge. And all those things that Jesus said about keeping the commandments was talking to the people of the Old Testament. And so now after the crucifixion, we don't have to keep the commandments anymore. We're not under the law. Total fabrication. Total distortion of Paul. And Peter said Paul was going to be hard to understand. It's really not that hard to understand. Easily argued against. Easily shown where that is just a bunch of hooey. This is absolutely not the case. The law is not done away with. When Paul talks, and Paul says that. God forbid, Paul says. When Paul is using this one Greek word, nomos, that means law, you have to use it in the context. That's a very general term. He's talking to Romans who Jews are trying to bring under the statutory laws of Jewish tradition. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the, you know, you gotta get circumcised. You know, you gotta get, uh, you gotta do all these other little ritual things. And the Romans, uh, that's not our custom. Well, no, you gotta do those law things. He's saying, no, you don't have to do those law things. He's not saying you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. That's another law altogether. Read it in context, because later on, in several places, uh, Paul talks about people who have no inheritance in the kingdom of God that we should have turn away from and not have anything to do with. He lists those people off by the fact that they're fornicating, committing adultery, they're idolaters, they're backbiters, they're gossipers, they're liars. And he's saying they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And, but these other people are saying, no, we have inheritance in the kingdom of God because we, you know, the covetous, they're out. 
Well, anybody who desires benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other, taking from their neighbor to provide you with benefits, that's a covetous practice. It will make you merchandise and make it so you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. You're the prodigal son and you're still feeding the pig farmer stock. You're working for the pig farmer. You're not saved and your father's not going to come and save you. He already sent his son, but you didn't listen. So you went over this other way. Now, true, if you repent, turn around and head back to your father's house with the intention of serving as a servant in your father's house, then your father may run out before you've done any work at all and kill the fatted calf and give shed blessings all over you. But if you don't turn around, if you stay there and say, yeah, I should have gone back to my father's house, but I'm going to stay here because I'm too lazy, because I'm too selfish, because I'm too proud and I don't want to go back and be a servant in my father's house. Guess what? You are condemned. I don't care what you think, you're condemned. Because you haven't repented. You you can't even forgive yourself. You can't even forgive others. I mean, you know what, what it takes to go back to your father's house and say, I want to be a servant in your house. I squandered my inheritance. I want to be a servant in your house. And that's all I want. To come back and do that. You know what you have to do? You have to forgive your father. Not only for any judgment he may have for you. But you have to forgive him for any judgment you think he might have for you. <laughs> See? Because why, why is the guy too proud to go back? Because, you know, his father's going to say, I told you so. And he doesn't want to hear I told you so. From his father. Now, in this case, in the parable of Jesus, evidently the father wasn't going to say, I told you so. <laughs> so, it was easy to forgive him. But the brother was probably going to say, "You, I told you so, because he was jealous and he was envious. You have to forgive your brother before he is envious and jealous, even if he isn't envious and jealous. And then you will find the humility. Nothing is more humbling than forgiveness. You have to forgive. You know what it is when you don't forgive? You're playing God. You're The reason you don't forgive is because you think you have to judge others. You are so arrogant, you think you have to judge. You're playing God. That's why it's hard to forgive. Now, I'm telling you that so that when you find it hard to forgive somebody, you can see what the process really is. Because not only coming to your neighbor's aid is important, forgiveness is important. And and that will be very, very uh, important on that block. Because there will be some guys on that block who have rubbed you the wrong way, done something that you don't like. And you may say, well, I don't want to come when he needs help. Because he's such a jerk. Well, you have to forgive him. And you come that he might have life more abundant. You come to protect him because you care about him. Christ didn't just come to save you. 
He came that you might be saved. And that's why you come to the aid of your neighbor, that he might be saved. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, anyway, there's a lot of things that change and alter society. And those things that you list off that uh, change society for the worst, and those things that you list off and change society for the better, you would think that those lists might be the same size. But the reality is the way... To destruction is broad. There's a lot of things you can do that takes you away from the kingdom of God. And there's not really that many things you do that brings you back towards the kingdom of God. Because it's a narrow path. Uh, And so there's not a big, huge, long list. But the interpretation of that list is where the problem comes from. Because people say, oh, all I have to do is love God and love my neighbor. And I love my neighbor. I do charitable works. I, you know, I send money to the food bank or I send food to the food bank and I, I send money to the Salvation Army and, you know, so I, I do charitable works. In the meantime, you know, you think about it. Okay. You got three kids in school. That's $6,000 per kid. That's, uh, what is that? Uh, Twelve, eighteen thousand dollars a year. Are you paying property tax of eighteen thousand dollars? Well, no. So that means somebody else is taking up the slack. Your parents are on Social Security, which is a bankrupt program that is not solvent. It it needs to borrow money every day in order to send out those checks. They're on Medicare and Medicaid, and you even got a brother-in-law who's getting. Uh, Maybe food stamps. And you start adding these things up. You got $18,000 a year. Uh, With your parents, maybe that's another uh, $20,000. So that's $1,000 a year. $38,000 a year. Uh, And other people in your, say in your church. You go down your church. This would be a good practice for ministers. You go down your church. And you find out how much government assistance in the form of social welfare, which Social Security, uh, public schools, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, health programs that are not private insurance, but public insurance. All those things, anybody on welfare, even technically unemployment, because that's really insolvent, but you don't want to include that. You don't have to. Just those things that have to do with social welfare. Add those things all up. You know, say if it was a small congregation of 10 people, at $30,000 average per person, that's $300,000. 
that you're talking about for 10 families a year in social welfare benefits coming to them from benefactors who exercise authority. Now, weigh up how much those people contribute to charity, actually give to charity. Well, what does that come to? You know, you'd be lucky if it hit $30,000. It's probably more like (laughs) $3,000 that they actually give to charity. Yet, the early Christian church took care of all the social welfare of the people in their community. And they were exempt from the social welfare taxation, you know, that uh, they were exempt from that social welfare taxation that was imposed by Judea, because originally the Christians were in Judea. And everybody who got the baptism of Jesus Christ was kicked out of the social welfare system, run through the government temple of Judea. They were kicked out of that system. And they had to start their own system. And we see them running their own system in the temple, rightly dividing the bread from house to house. That means taking care of the needy. Almost immediately, there was a need in Greece, and they uh, appointed those seven men, even eight that we just talked about in the last show, that was in Ecclesiastes. You know, if you go to Ecclesiastes, what you remember what the number was? Eleven one says, "Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days." Give a portion to seven, and also eight. You could actually translate that in even eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. You know, because the clouds full of rain and empty themselves upon the earth. That means that there could be floods here and droughts here. A tree could fall to the north. A tree could fall to the south. Uh, it could, You know, disaster can happen anywhere. So you're not just a little local congregation, you're a network of congregation, and you're picking these seven to help people somehow or other move funds, supplies, whatever it is, a long ways away from your congregation. Casting your bread upon the waters, way out, away from your local congregation. You're not just helping your local congregation. That's the purpose of the seven. So, though, now you go and read in Acts, where they talk about this seven, picking seven men, look out amongst yourself and pick men you trust, and we will appoint them over this business. What business is that? The business of the Greeks needing help way off. This is their casting their bread upon the waters through these seven men that are, are they going to help bring aid to the Greeks. It's not for some Greek neighborhood in Jerusalem. It's for Greeks in Greece. <laughs> in one of the Greek city-states. Way off, like Galatia or Corinth. And we see them taking money to Corinth. Which actually was a rather rich community. Why did they have to suddenly take money to Corinth? Well, you, if you look back, you'll you'll see that 
there were problems at that particular time in history in Corinth with their economy because of the fact that they had introduced certain elements in their economy that caused a shortage of funds and therefore a shortage of foods and imports. And the Christians came and relieved that. And later you see Paul talking to the head chamber men of, you know, kind of like the chamber of commerce or actually uh, more like the treasurer of Corinth, explaining that you guys should do it more like us. In other words, change the way you run your government more like Christians and how they run their government. Because that's what they were doing. The same unchurching group, a lot of them don't want to have anything to do with religion. And you try to show them, well, what religion are you talking about? Because religion today is defined as what you think about God. But just 200 years ago, religion was defined as the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And then immediately a lot of the people have a problem with the word duty. Well, we don't have any duties because Jesus didn't say we had to do anything. Of course, he did. And when you point that out, they say, oh, well, that was before the crucifixion. Now that we he was crucified, we're in the new covenant. We don't have to do anything. <laughs> they just rationalize this stuff out of their head because they don't want to do anything. And they said, but we do do things. We help people out. Ninety percent of the social welfare we receive we get from men who exercise authority one over the other. You know, we'll get $30,000 in benefits from the fathers of the earth and the benefactors who exercise authority because we pray to them for our benefits. We'll hand out maybe three hundred or $3,000, maybe, if they're big givers, out of that $30,000 that they receive by force of arms, by the sword, <laughs> And they think they're charitable. Well, that's not charitable. That's token stuff. You know, that's like robbing somebody and and flipping a couple coins back to them after you rob them. Well, here, here's a couple of, you know, go get a cup of coffee. I just took $100,000 from you and beat you up. And here's a couple of bucks. Go get a cup of coffee. <laughs> You know, what? and you think you're Christian? No, you're not. But they don't want to look at that. They're actually still looking for the... Now, and I'm sure there's some people on the group that do want to look at that. But a lot of them don't want to look at that. They They want to believe that they're believers. They want to believe that they have faith in Christ and that they love Jesus. But they really love the Jesus created by Satan. The image of Jesus created by the apostate church, by false doctrines that twist the words of God and twist scripture with private interpretations until they think, Jesus loves me, this I know because the Bible tells me so. (laughs) Well, actually, Jesus hates your deeds. Your deeds are the deeds of the Nicolaitans. This uh, So they pick seven men. I always was trying to figure out, and that was one of the questions I asked way back in the seminary you know, half a century ago. <laughs> you know, what are these men supposed to be doing? <laughs> well, they they were neglecting the Greeks in their network, so they needed a way in which to move large amounts of funds to buy supplies all the way across the Roman Empire 
to another area. And this is what those seven men were. There, there were seven men picked in Ephesus too. It's, it's, you don't find it in the Bible, but you find it in history. And uh, they went through a whole process. Some of them were sons of rich men, but they gave up all their wealth to be these seven men. And they were involved in banking. Not banking as we think of it today, but in holding, receiving and holding and transferring large amounts of money uh, to distant places all over the world. And uh, uh, they, they were persecuted. And they were actually walled up in a cave uh, because they were being persecuted. And of course, you know, one of your first martyrs is Stephen, who is one of those seven men. Why were they picking on poor Stephen? What did he do? Well, money was going to Stephen. And Stephen was sending that money to buy aid for the Greeks who were being neglected and anywhere else in the kingdom of God where people were being neglected. Because Christianity was spreading rapidly all across uh, the Roman Empire. And you know who was becoming Christians? A lot of closet conservatives. <laughs> I have to say closet conservatives. Because they had already decided that there was no hope in restoring the Republic. You have to realize some of the stuff that had gone on. You know, Tiberius, uh, Caligula, uh, and eventually Claudius were the, the transition there. You know, killing off Caligula was an attempt to restore the Republic because of the fact that he was going so far away. The Republic was pretty much dead in the water with the rise of the first Caesar. And uh, it had been dying out and getting sick for at least 300 years before. I mean, you can go back to Polybius, who's saying that people living at the, you know, at the expense of others, and how Rome, the Roman thinking, the Roman people were becoming savages, fit for the first dictator that comes along. He hadn't come along yet, but at the time of Polybius, but he did come along by the time of Augustus. And certainly by Tiberius, and certainly by Caligula, and also by the time of Claudius, and certainly by the time of Nero, which is where you see the rise of Christian persecution. Now, Claudius persecuted Christians, but usually with banishment, you know, like you guys all have to leave Rome. And But he didn't call them Christians, he called them Jews, because most Christians were Jews at first. And then, but it was spreading rapidly to Romans as well. And especially with guys like Paul, uh, who was not a Roman citizen. He was Romeos, but he was not a Roman citizen. We explain this in these links, which I am evidently, you know, I don't know yet. I haven't heard. I checked at the break to see if, uh, you know, I, I approached one of their uh, moderators. They got lots of moderators on that group. And uh, to see if I'm permitted to send links to my own writings when I'm trying to explain something for those who want a deeper explanation. And uh, I haven't got an answer yet. Um, but the reason that, you know, the people that are on that group, and I mean, there's thousands of people on that group, but a lot of them are coming there for very shallow intents. You know, they're they're mad at the church and they want to get in the unchurch group and they... They want to get some little group to tickle their ears instead of pay some pastor to do it, you know. But uh, they still want to get their benefits from men who exercise authority and don't think anything's wrong with that because 
their whole thinking is immersed in the apostate church. And they don't want to change. Now, some might, and that's what we're looking for. And that's what you should be helping us look for, is to find those people who God is actually working on their hearts and minds, writing His laws upon their hearts and minds, so that these guys see, oh yeah, this is what they've been talking about from the beginning. Way back in Ecclesiastes. I mean, remember, God made man. God instituted marriage. Uh, which I call holy matrimony, which is it's holy matrimony because it's the matrix of the woman, the womb of the woman that is united with the family of the man. That's that's the normal way that it goes. That the womb of the woman is united, which is the matrix, that's what matrimony comes from, is united with the man. And she becomes a part of his family. Family is the institution of God. So, what other institutions did God create? He didn't create Cain's city-state. He didn't create Babylon. He did not create Egypt. He did not create Caesar's Rome. Those were created by men. Now, God allowed men to do that. But God did not create those institutions. Those are not institutions of God. God allows them... To punish the wicked. You know who the wicked are now. Those who create Babylon, Egypt, and Rome. Those are the wicked. <laughs> because they will not have God rule over them. So they reject God and create their own governments. Even the people in Israel who rejected God and the voice of the people chose Saul to be their king. That was, that civil government, that kingly government of Saul was the result of a rejection of God. It was a result of sin. It was not an institution of God. It was an institution God allowed you to create. Cause he, and he told you what was going to happen. This is your punishment for doing this. I'm not going to wreak this punishment on you. It's built in already. He's not doing it. You're doing it. And he says, this is what's going to happen if you go this way, which is not the way of Christ. He's going to take and 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 take. And you're going to cry out and God's not going to hear you because you wouldn't listen to him. So if you want God to hear you, you have to start listening to God and start going back the other way. How do you go the other way from take and take and take and take and take and take? You have to give and give and give and give and give and give. You don't have to give to me. You can cast your bread upon the waters. You can give to your local minister. You you can you can do anything you want as far as giving, and I want the Holy Spirit to be leading you in that giving. That's absolutely essential. But you should be giving, and you should be forgiving, which makes giving easier if you forgive. Because you you if you don't forgive, you won't want to give to anybody but those who you've already forgiven. But tell you the truth, giving to those that you have not yet forgiven will help you learn to forgive. So anyway, that's kind of a Mouthful, go repeat that to somebody. But the reality, that is the way you get closer to the kingdom. Because Christ was forgiving the people who were scourging him and crucifying him. Forgive them, they know not what they do. He was forgiving them. Can you do that? Could you do that? Well, that's, that's where we're, we're trying to head to and go to. 
and giving to those who have smite you <laughs> is a real test of the sincerity of your forgiveness. Because I've seen a lot of people say they're forgiving and then all of a sudden you hear them complaining later on. This, this Seeking this way, seeking this kingdom of God and this righteous way to live by charity, by love. Remember the same word that is translated love over and over again about 80 some odd times in the Bible is the same word we see translated charity. Almost 30 times. So, if Jesus says it, they translate it love. If Paul says it, they most often translate it charity. But it, what does it mean? Well, it, it doesn't just mean giving money. It means giving of yourself. You may do that in the form of money. You may do it in the form of shelter. You may do it in the form of bandages. You may do it in the form of food. Uh, you may do it in the form of information. Taking the time to put all this information together at preparingyou.com and hisholychurch.org is, is a huge sacrifice. Willingly done, but it was a duty I had because God freely gave, I had to freely give. But it was a duty I willingly do. Not out of fear, but out of love. So this is all a work of love. And it's given away to you. And I see other people going out because somebody tickled their ears and and paying upwards to $10,000 for stuff that is absolute nonsense. Because they want to believe the nonsense. Because it's much easier to sell nonsense than the truth. If you want the truth, We're giving it to you. But the truth comes at an expense. A personal expense. It's going to cost you your delusions. And the delusion that... One of the major delusions you have, one of the major lies that you have, is that it's okay to take from your neighbor as long as you do it through government. It is not okay. One of the people on the group was talking about the millions of dollars in aid that they have received from the government for... I guess one of their children who had to have special respirators. They went on and on and on about all this stuff. And and certainly, I don't begrudge them taking. I, I'm not judging them. I'm just telling you what the kingdom looks like. You know, in the kingdom, if you're really seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, there's any reason why somebody couldn't lay hands on the child and it would just be flat out healed. I mean, that's a, that's a distinct possibility. I can't say it requires faith on the part of a lot of people. Not just the person who could come and do that. I mean, but that, those healings were commonplace in the early church. They're not commonplace now. Not real healings. But they used to be. But the reality is, is, you know, it doesn't say thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods unless you really, really, really need it. It doesn't say thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods unless he's really, really, really rich. It doesn't say thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods unless you do it through government. It just doesn't say that. 
You're just making up excuses. Now, of course, here's another excuse. Well, that was before the crucifixion. Now it's done away with. And why in the world is people like Paul and Peter talking about covetousness, making you merchandise and cursing your children? Why is why are they saying that if you're covetous, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God? Didn't they know they're in the new covenant? Well, of course they do. He says, you don't know what the new covenant is. So you imagine that, oh, it's not important anymore. I, do, I don't have any duties. I don't have anything I have to do. I just, I'm here for the party. You know, and I'll do a little token charity to make myself feel good. That's not going to work. <laughs> That's not kingdom. That's completely the opposite of kingdom. So anyway, I had all kinds of uh, links I I was going to share with the people. One guy was talking about the Nicolaitans. Oh, that's the Catholic Church. Well, no. Uh, Nicolaitan, Nico meaning conquered people. The Catholic Church wasn't in existence yet. The Catholic Church doesn't. It even talks about uh, in court cases. It refers to the Catholic Church not starting until Constantine. Was not established until Constantine. In court cases in the United States, where the Church won, they accepted the fact that that Constantine was the beginning of the Catholic Church. Now they, of course, they want to take it back farther that you know Peter was the first Pope and everything. Although nobody used the word Pope, finally it was given to Pope Gregory, a Pope Gregory, and he said he wouldn't take the title. He said anyone who takes the title is the Antichrist. And he wouldn't take the title. So they gave it to Justin the Fat over in Constantinople. And so after Gregory died, they took the title. I don't know if uh, Justin the Fat had died too. But anyway, they they simply superimposed that title on Gregory and took it all the way back to Peter. And it's all made up. I mean, it's just a matter of record. Nobody wants to hear it, especially in the Catholic Church. But that's just the way it is. I'm not picking on them. They're not the only ones who've done that. I mean, where did all this Santa Claus stuff come from? We're approaching the Christmas season uh, now. And we got all this Santa stuff is all over the place in the United States. And you even find it now in Europe. But the reality is, you know, the original St. Nicholas was December 5th. And you'd put out shoes and they might put, you'd clean your shoes up and set them out. And you might find a toy or a gift in your shoes or candy or something. Or you might find a switch that your parents can use to spank you with. <laughs> I got that story from a Hungarian just yesterday. He's headed back to Hungary. He's actually an American now, but uh, he's going back for a visit to Hungary. He was over here. Anyway, the whole thing about Christmas and the Santa Claus, that all came out of Macy's back in... <laughs> 1900s. They didn't have that in Christmas celebrations before that. Christmas used to be illegal in parts of America. But anyway, that's another story. But we'll we'll be back in a few minutes and, and we'll try to sum up some of the things you can start learning about to seek that kingdom and its righteousness. We'll be right back.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Um, I picked at that group I was talking to you about, the unchurched group, and evidently they are going to let me put links on to preparing you. <laughs> if I do it judiciously and only in response to conversations that I'm already engaged in, not as an original post. So, anyway, so that's that's good news because it is very difficult to type all the stuff in that we have, all the information we have. But if you want more information about a lot of these things, go to preparingyou.com. Join the network. There's there's two things there. Go to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. Uh, a lot of work has been put on preparing you. Much, much of His Holy Church has not changed. I have changed some things. I've up, a great, uh, updated certain things. We have certainly a lot more audios available. I'm working on maybe putting out more videos. But the, uh, uh, most of the daily changes are taking place at preparing you. And it's, it's constantly being honed by your input. By the input of the people, and even by the people themselves, um, there was a recent page. I was trying to think of what page that was that somebody added a link to. I think it was oh, our Essene page at the bottom. Somebody added a link uh, to the Essene page, which talks about the Essenes, which comes out of an original article that was on His Holy Church and and is still there uh, at His Holy Church. That original article. And it's about the Essenes, and and it's very interesting when you actually explore the Essenes. There's a lot of people who write about it now. A lot of people who've written about them in the past, and there's some people who've written about them. It's absolute total nonsense, and some of it's based on, you know, I guess kind of a personal conjecture and and some educated guessing, and all that can be valuable if you're seeking the truth about that time of Jesus Christ. And what was going on at the time that Jesus Christ was walking the earth and saying what he said. And that's important in order to understand the biblical context. Because it was written in a particular time. Certain things were going on at that time. And if you understand the times and the people and what they were thinking, without even understanding the Hebrew and the Aramaic and the Greek, you will get a certain view of the times and therefore that will help you understand the biblical text. Now, again, that's flesh and blood research. Ultimately, you have to temper all that with the Holy Spirit. But I know lots of people telling me that they're listening to the Holy Spirit and I talk with the Holy Spirit all the time. I mean, I communicate with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I don't have you know, actual big conversations. I don't hear voices or anything. <laughs> but a lot of the things that other people are telling me, the Holy Spirit I'm listening to never mentions. As a matter of fact, some of the things that they tell me that the Holy Spirit is telling them is completely contrary to what the Holy Spirit is telling me. So what they're calling the Holy Spirit, I don't think it's the same Holy Spirit. And of course, that's what I've been saying from the beginning of the, these two shows is that there is an evil realm, a spiritual realm, another dimension, whatever you want to call it. We identify it as hell. It doesn't look like the paintings or the pictures or the movies. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure what it looks like, but I, I'm pretty sure those are conjectures 
There may be some truth in some of those imaging, but it's probably mostly metaphor. And then there's heaven, which most people don't know what that looks like either. I mean, you've seen the movies and you've seen the paintings. Probably not accurate. There are projections from this place, from flesh and blood, that are projecting what those places are like, those other dimensions. But the reality, what you can probably begin to identify, and we have biblical context to help us identify that, is what are the messages that you're receiving and what are they leading you to do? And what are they leading your society to do? The modern Christianity has done away with hue and cry and has ushered in a socialist state, a welfare state that has weakened the people. Detroit, the, the mess in Detroit and places like Baltimore and these slums and the, you know, Chicago where there's killings all the time and murder and everything is a direct result and symptom or side effect of false Christianity. The fear of Muslim terrorists, what do they call them, Uh, radical extremist Muslims, taking over in England and other places and bringing in Sharia law, all the fear of that terrorism and everything is a direct side effect of not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is the result of false Christianity, an apostate church. Not doing, not preaching what Christ actually said, which was repeated in the New Testament after the crucifixion by the apostles. Covetousness will make you merchandise. It will curse your children. It will weaken you and will weaken the poor. Coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of government is going away from the kingdom of God and righteousness. Desiring to take away from your neighbor and live at the expense of your neighbor is making you fit for the first dictator that comes along. Even if you don't want to read the Bible, read Polybius, read Plutarch. They all had the same conclusion. And you see it in Proverbs. You see it from Peter. You see it all the New Testament alike. But people say, no, I just believe in Jesus. It's okay that I covet my neighbor's goods. Not so. So anyway, uh, just to mention some of the website pages that we have on a page on the Essenes. You just look up Essenes in the search engine on Preparing You and you'll find the article. And the new link was put on there, the audio version of the Essene Gospel of Peace. And that was all put together by Edmund Sikhi or Sikli. Uh, they pronounce it a couple different ways uh, in Hungary. He's another Hungarian. This must be our Hungarian day today. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he, he came, supposedly he went to the Vatican in 1923 and found these copies and then tr- uh, in Aramaic and Hebrew and translated them and, and then published them in the Essene Gospel of Peace and uh, the, the Essene Book of Revelations. But the Vatican says he was never there. But the Vatican could be lying, you know. He also claimed to be in other archives. And the people, uh, you know, the last National Library in Vienna denied that the original manuscript that he claims he was translating ever existed. But, you know, there was World War II. <laughs> you know? So, it, and, you know, if you, you know, I've studied these things. And actually, there, he has more than one translation out. 
and you read some of them and, you know, the ones early on and then the ones later, they're almost unrecognizable. He translates them so differently. And, but it doesn't really matter to me. And so I put a, I added a little bit underneath those deals that a lot of people don't think that these things are authentic. There are other authors like Nicholas uh, Nodovich, uh who wrote The Unknown Life of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, supposedly he went to India and everything. And uh, these other people wrote about him. The, I have found several sources that reference Jesus Christ. Early, early, early sources. That reference that Jesus Christ went to India, as well as sources found since on tablets and in traditions of like Rishi priests and everything. You know, so I, I think he probably did go to India. And uh, there was uh, travel back then that he could have gone to India, maybe before the crucifixion even. There's evidence he went to Gaul and even Great Britain before that. I mean, his uncle was head of mines in Great Britain and in Gaul, had lead mines there, and uh, had uh, was a very wealthy man. There's no reason to believe that Jesus did not go to those places. But like I say, some of the early church fathers write about Jesus being in India. And so that's that's all reasonable. So I can't say that Nicholas is, is uh, Nodovich is, is a fraud. It could be true. But the reality is, is in reading these things, if you read them with the Holy Spirit, they can help you see things. This this Holy Spirit and how it works in you, uh, dreams and visions, how they work in you. We've done some programs on that. That you know the the uh, Pharaoh who wasn't really the Pharaoh like it was after the plagues, but the Pharaoh before that was just a rich and powerful, influential man. Um, he getting these dreams, but he doesn't know what they mean. He had to have Joseph come and tell him what they mean. Why? Because Joseph was better connected through his soul to the kingdom of heaven. The apostles, as disciples, were becoming better connected to the kingdom of heaven, this other dimension. And we see that veil being pulled back at Pentecost so that they had this fire of righteousness, the yod, the divine spark, glowing above them. These are real things. But you don't have to believe that. So, we don't start out with that. We have a lot of things that we do start out with. Nicolaitan article tells you what the Nicolaitans really were. Why God hated the deeds in the Nicolaitan is really uh, important to understanding the Nicolaitans, which isn't about a guy named Nicholas. Uh, because it's the era of Balaam. The, the Bible tells you this. There are quotes that associate these errors, these stumbling blocks, with each other. Whatever they were doing in the time of Balaam, they're doing in the time of the Nicolaitan. And once you understand that the word Balaam simply means conquered people, as same as Nicolaitan means conquered people, you see, well, wait a minute. They're talking about the same thing in different languages. So, how do you get conquered? Well, Peter tells you, through covetousness, you are conquered. You're made merchandise because you desire the benefits. So, why do you seek the kingdom of God? So, you don't have to go to the man who exercised authority, the fathers of the earth and the benefactors who exercise authority. Because if you do, you will become merchandise. You will become conquered. 
And you will become, and if you depend upon that consistently and continue to want to do that and are slothful in the ways of the kingdom, you will remain under the tribute of such systems. Started by Cain, started by Nimrod, started by Pharaoh, started by Caesar, and started by FDR, and started, <laughs> and started by Truman, and all, and Lyndon Baines Johnson. They all are starting these systems that make you Nicolaitans and make you workers of iniquity. And you need to repent of that and turn around and seek the kingdom, which means you're going to have to learn to forgive and give and gather together to serve, which is the gospel in the Old Testament and the New Testament and in the epistles after the crucifixion. So stop making excuses and start gathering together with that in mind. We have other pages that go and, you know, the cult of Rome. What was the cult of Rome? It was their social security system. And once you had signed up, you had to give. You couldn't get out of it. But Rome did make a deal where you could, you could be in the, you know, long as you were joining one of the recognized temples of the empire, even if it was a private temple, you could belong to that temple. But you had to belong to one temple or another. One system or another. Well, Jesus came and started a system in Judea, was the rightful king of Judea by Roman proclamation. And anybody who was giving to the apostles and to the ministers that they appointed over you to serve you, not to rule over you, but to serve you, that you picked, and they said, okay, we recognize them. Then you could give to them, and whatever you gave... According to the instructions of the king, Jesus, were paid in full. Nobody was going to kick in your door if you didn't pay the full amount. Nobody was going to take your home if you paid the full amount. Nobody was going to throw you in prison if you paid the full amount. And whatever you paid was marked as the full amount. <laughs> that's the that's a system. That's the institutional church of Jesus Christ. That is not the institutional churches you go to now. They want your money and then they send you to the men who make you merchandise for your benefits. They send you to the men that curse your children with debt. And you keep doing it because you want to think you believe already, that you think you see already. You don't see unless you see this. And if you see this, know that you see it not because you're clever, but by the grace of God. You're registered in the temples of Saturn today. You're a part of the temples of Saturn and you pray to the fathers of that system for your benefits. And they provide them by taking away from your neighbor and making your neighbor and you a surety for debt. And they can do this with impunity because you're such a criminal. You violated the laws of God. You coveted your neighbor's goods. Or your parents were criminals. And they, but, you know, I'm not faulting them. We were told that we would believe a lie and go under a strong delusion and return to the bondage of Egypt. Now, you have the opportunity for great grace to come from heaven. Because you can see you were wrong. That is a habit that we have to be willing to accept is to see that we were wrong and going the wrong way and turn around and go the right way. And if we just turn around and seek to come back to be of service, 
No matter where we are in that process, God will run out and meet us halfway. We just have to do the turning around and seek to gather together. And that's why we created these websites so you can join a network and then join a congregation. Join in the email network. You're not in the living network. You're in the electronic network. You're in the internet network. And that could disappear in the twinkling of an eye. But the living network, that's something else. So you have to work at that. We have some people who have joined congregations but don't really want... They think the 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 form that we're doing is not right. They just join it because they're so dang lonely. They don't have a friend hardly in the world. And if they don't join the congregation, they'll have nobody to talk to. Nonsense. That's not going to get them anywhere. But we let them do it. And we'll be patient with them. Hopefully they'll someday repent and see how foolish they're being and turn around and start actually seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness and gathering together to serve rather than be served. Till then, we'll we'll tolerate them. But there will come a day when these these foolish virgins will be shut out. Christ is very clear about that. We will not have room for them in, in that day. And we we will be commanded to shut the door and don't open it up again. Like Moses and, and like uh, Noah, especially Noah, we see the, almost the same exact words. But that's what Jesus is talking about. They knock and knock and they don't let the foolish virgins in. They, they wasted the time that God gave them. But God is just and God is merciful. But he wasn't opening the door. <laughs> so... <laughs> Don't count on that. Whining and crying doesn't always work. So anyway, we have another one, a page, Christian Conflict. You can look that up on the web, uh, preparing you. And we talk about why were Christians being persecuted. They should have been considered model citizens. And uh, we show you what they were doing in the Temple of Saturn. We have a a website, uh, a webpage, Temples. You can go to and it shows you what they were doing. They were coining money in these temples. They were keeping birth certificates in these temples. They were handing out free bread from these temples. They were investing in these free temples like a stock exchange. All these things. These are what these temples were. That was one of the questions I asked way back over half a century ago. What were they doing in these temples? Oh, it was pagan rituals. Well, that's the same thing they're doing in the temples we got now in Washington, (laughs) D.C. Except there are no Vestal Virgins in Washington, D.C. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> now, that's about the only difference other than the fact that they can make fire come down from heaven in the sight of men. So, we have another web page, Benefactors. You can just go to Preparing You and look that up, Benefactors. And we, we talk about who are these benefactors. Jesus said we are not to be like the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. We are not to be like the princes of the Gentiles That's the and rulers of the Gentiles. That's those benefactors. They call themselves benefactors. They're not really benefactors because they don't give you their money. Now, Augustus did give you some of his money, but Augustus had so much money because he killed some of the richest men in in Rome. And he took all their money. <laughs> he took all their spoils, all their land. He killed their whole families. <laughs> you know? uh, Constantine was doing the same thing. That's where they're getting their money. And then they turn around like Constantine after murdering tens of thousands of people and stealing all their property and money. Then he goes around and gives it to this new church he's forming. 
Well, the real church wouldn't take that money. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want a dime of it. They want to do it the way Christ said. And that those benefactors were called Pater Patre, uh, or Patronus for the emperor himself. And um, they worked through these temples, which were government buildings. To why register births in, in, in the Temple of Saturn to know when you were eligible for benefits. And we explain all this. And so, but people who want to think they know already, they don't want to know. Baptism. Baptism wasn't started by John the Baptist. It was around in Israel for centuries. It's a, it's a Jewish ritual, baptism. Now, John the Baptist put a new twist on it. It actually wasn't all that new. He was taking people back to what they were supposed to be doing. You have to remember that John the Baptist, this man, this voice in the wilderness, was grew up during the apostasy of the church in the wilderness. And so he was trying to get people, he was a reformer, trying to get people to go back to the ways of the ancients. If you have a little extra, share it with those that don't have enough. You know, you have two coats, your neighbor has none, share. Do the same in meats. Operate by charity. He didn't say, if you don't have a coat, apply to Caesar and he will give you a free coat. That he can give you because he took it away from your neighbor. He actually killed your neighbor and took the coat. <laughs> Sometimes he just taxed him, but a lot of times they, the Caesars got really rich because they killed their enemies <laughs> and took their stuff. And they live by the sword. And if you apply for their benefits, you're living by the sword. And we know that you will perish. So, Anyway, another page, I'm just going through some of the pages here I have open and been using and, and sharing with other people this week. Uh, we have another page, uh, our audio page. It has a lot of our audios from the different uh, stations that we're on and some that we also make uh, on Tuesday night with our study call. And uh, what we need is people to go through and add a little brief descriptions with catch words so that they these audios show up on search engines so that other people and then take some of those audios and apply them to certain pages that are already talking about these subjects so but you'd have to be a part of the network for us to let you have access to doing that but we're looking for volunteers another page corbin the corbin of the pharisees made the word of god to none effect that had to be powerful to make the word of god to none effect and of course that is the theme of this whole show is that how does a society decay into this state of non-Christian behavior? And again, I said socialism is one of the main culprits, and that's what the Corbin of the Pharisees was. Corbin means sacrifice. Your sacrifice was compelled once you became a member of the Temple of uh, Judea, or that Herod built, or the Temple of Roma that Herod also built. It's the same Corbin. But until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. 
For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.